Part two of Chapter five of Our Search for a Wilderness by Mary Blair Beebe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. At noon on March sixth, we embarked on the three days tent boat journey from Morahana to Hoori Mine. A thirty foot launch was the motor power, and alongside this the big tent boat was lashed while several indians hitch their woodskins behind as boys hitch sleds to a passing sleigh the baggage was stored fore and aft and perched on a pile in the bow we prepared for our first real day of observation along the rivers of the northwest we retraced our way northward through mora passage frightening as we went a flock of seven scarlet ibises they kept close together and were evidently a single family as two were in fully adult plumage while the others were only three-quarters grown and feathered wholly in brown and white about three o'clock in the afternoon we reached waini river but instead of turning toward the mouth and the open ocean which we could see to the northwest we steered eastward upstream although the outlet of several large rivers the waini in its lower reaches is little more than a great salt water tidal inlet or cano at mora passage the waini is about two miles wide and through the choppy waters of the falling tide we steered straight across to the north shore between the waters of this river and the ocean extends a long strip of marshy mangrove for at least forty miles both the white and the red mangrove are found here the latter predominating and this is the breeding sanctuary of the hosts of birds which haunt the mud flats at low tide and fill the trees with a gorgeous display of color when the feeding grounds are covered at high tide for the next three hours we were enchanted by a constantly changing panorama of bird life which in extent and variety can seldom be equaled elsewhere while crossing the waini several swallow-tailed kites soared screaming overhead occasionally swooping past for a nearer look at us as we skirted the great mangrove forest birds flew up ahead few at first but in constantly increasing numbers until several hundred were in sight at once they showed little fear and were apparently content to vibrate slowly along between launch and shore accompanying us for fifteen or twenty miles by far the greater number were little blue herons the pure white immature and the slaty blue adults being equally numerous the latter were very inconspicuous among the foliage while the former stood out like marble statues against green velvet the coloring showed great asymmetrical variation and one young bird with a single blue feather in the right wing was so tame that it kept almost abreast of our flotilla the irregularity of molt resulted in most remarkable patterns as in several birds each of which had one white and one bluish wing 
half a dozen yellow-crowned night herons were seen and twenty or thirty of the ill-named louisianas a few great-billed terns accompanied the herons and later in the afternoon we began flushing snowy egrets in ever-increasing numbers no american egrets were seen all along the coast were small flocks of scarlet ibises from three to thirty in number and in an hour we had driven together no less than four hundred the majority were fully plumaged birds clad in burning vermilion but many were young in molt we secured a young female in an interesting condition of molt in the stomach were found the two chelae or claws of a small crustacean each about one-third of an inch in length the wings were wholly of the immature brown except for one tiny under edge covert in the right wing the back lower breast and under tail coverts were fairly scarlet and active molt was in progress on the head and neck we know that in captivity these birds fade out usually in a single molt from the most vivid scarlet to a pale salmon hue but as to the cause we are still in the dark the same is true of american flamingos and spoonbills during this trip we made certain of a fact which helps slightly to clear this problem this being that scarlet ibises fade as quickly and completely when in captivity in their native country as in the north this is confirmed by many birds kept formerly in georgetown and also on the island of marajo at the mouth of the amazon we have noticed an interesting fact in regard to this fading out of birds in captivity whether the salmon tints appear in the first molt or more gradually in several the lesser wing coverts and the upper and under tail coverts are the last to lose the scarlet color retaining it sometimes for five or six years these feathers in the nearly related but pale roseate spoonbill are those which are normally scarlet and this resemblance may be more than a coincidence about four o'clock we were surprised to see a large black and white bird with long gray beak and red legs fly up from a mud flat ahead and swing outward and around us the glasses showed a maguari stork in full breeding color even the red caruncles around the eye and the long filmy neck feathers being visible we had never expected to see the bird away from the pampas of the interior and the sight of the splendid stork was most exciting it is almost as large as a jabiru white with black wings scapulars and tail and is one of the most picturesque of the large waders we have had a pair of these birds alive for some time and have observed a curious thing about the tail the real tail feathers are forked swallow-like while the intervening space is filled up with the long stiff under tail coverts in flight the whole are spread making a parti-colored fan of some eighteen feathers instead of the usual six pairs these under tail coverts are a full inch longer 
than the regular tail feathers and seem to be usurping their function two old friends of northern waters appeared in small numbers ospreys circling about high in the air with now and then a meteor-like dive while spotted sandpipers looped from one headland to another ahead of us at half past four in the afternoon we had our first sight of the great flocks of birds which seem characteristic of this season quite high in air clear of the tops of the tallest trees we saw a black cloud of birds approaching we soon made them out to be greater anise or as the natives called them big witch or jumby birds when first seen they were in a dense compact mass headed straight toward us their flight was uniform each bird giving three to six flaps and then sailing ahead for several seconds hundreds doing this at once made the sight a most striking one while it was enhanced by their long wedge-shaped tails high arched beaks bright yellow eyes and the iridescence of their dark plumage as the slanting rays of the sun struck them we counted up to a thousand in the van and then gave up there were at the very least four thousand birds in the flock the approach of the puffing launch and our great escort of ibises and herons disconcerted them and the entire company broke up most of them descending turning on their course and fleeing ahead of us for several miles their mode of flight changed completely the birds flying close to the water barely skimming its surface and swinging up every few yards to alight on a low branch a piece of wood thrown among a mass of them would cause great dismay and they dashed down into the nearest foliage as if a hawk had appeared little by little they drifted past flying rapidly near shore and continuing in the direction which they had originally chosen a few of the birds were molting but by far the greater number were in perfect plumage the flock had the appearance of being on some sort of migration rather than assembling at a nightly roost about georgetown and the settlements and clearings in general this greater ani is much rarer than the small smooth-billed species twenty of the latter being seen to one of the former these aberrant cuckoos are most interesting birds and several females are said to combine building a single hollow nest of sticks in which the eggs are hatched hardly had the last ani passed out of sight when a second cloud of birds appeared far ahead and before we had approached near enough to identify them a shrill chorus came to our ears a horde of blue-headed parrots were on their way up the coast they behaved in much the same way as the anis but were more numerous an estimate far below the truth gave eight thousand closely massed though most of them were yet the eternal two and two formation of the tribe of parrots was never lost and even when the vanguard terrified by our puffing launch wheeled and dashed back through the ranks behind each parrot flew always close to its mate once later on when only a few scores were left near us 
we saw several perched in a bare tree close to a hawk like a sparrow hawk in size but neither species paid any attention to the other's presence the parrots screamed unceasingly and near the main body the noise was terrific a shrill deafening roar as from a dozen factory whistles until long after dark they flew back and forth around us sometimes attempting to alight in a tree and falling from branch to branch almost to the water before securing a foot or beak hold for several hours perfect pandemonium reigned around us whether these two phenomena of flocking birds indicated merely a nightly roosting habit or an actual more or less local migration they were of the greatest interest and spectacular in the extreme our opinion inclines decidedly towards the latter theory as they both differed greatly from the regular roosting flights which we observed elsewhere long after dark about nine o'clock in the faint light of the cloud-dimmed moon we caught glimpses of occasional ghostly forms flitting silently past and when we flashed our powerful electric light upon them the feathered ghosts would emit frightened squawks revealed as snowy egrets or young blue herons here and there among the mangroves large lightning bugs flashed at last we rolled up in our blankets and slept on the thwarts to dream of the unnumbered legions of anise and parrots far off behind us in the blackness of the mangrove jungle in a soft steady rain we steamed all next morning up the waini seeing few signs of life except three toucans which flew across at Baramani police station at noon we reached farnham's at the junction of the waini and barama rivers mr and mrs farnham live in a small house perched on the very summit of a symmetrically rounded hill the first elevation we had seen in this flat region there is a tiny store at the foot of the hill and a sawmill and in the grass of the clearing bet rouge lie in patient wait for the passer-by mrs farnham told us that hummingbirds flew into the peaked roof of the house almost every day and died the natives call by this name all the species of honey creepers and a yellow winged male was picked up from the floor during our visit we found later that this was such a common occurrence that in almost all the houses there were instruments for getting rid of the bewildered fluttering birds the more cruel used only a stick with which the birds were struck down but the more humanely inclined had nets on the end of long poles as many as seven honey creepers are occasionally entrapped at one time they do not seem to know how to fly toward light and liberty after getting up among the dark rafters the fauna of this exceedingly marshy region was different from that higher up agoutis and pacas are abundant but capybaras do not come this side of baramani police station deer and peccaries are very rare jaguars are unknown but ocelots are occasionally found a young one having been killed under the house at christmas it lived in a burrow and took a chicken each night until it was killed 
Many fish were seen playing about the tent boat as it was tied to the wharf, and among others were scores of small pipe fish. Mr. Crandall caught a small round sunfish-like form, brilliantly colored and with a most wicked-looking set of triangular teeth. As he was about to take the fish off the hook, it deliberately twisted itself in the direction of his hand and bit his finger, taking a piece out with one snip of its four razor-like incisors. This was our introduction to the famous perai, or carob fish, Cerasalmo scapularis, which seems to fear nothing, man, crocodile, or fish, and a school of which can disable any creature in a very short time. At this point we left the Waini and turned off into the Barama. We had followed the Waini day and night for about 60 miles, until from a stream of two miles or more in width, it had narrowed to little more than 100 yards. We left Farnham's at three in the afternoon and steamed slowly up the Barama for 12 hours, tying up to the bank from three to seven in the early morning. We slept but little for the strange wonderland which opened up before us. At nine o'clock the full moon rose and the beauty of the wilderness became indescribable. In the north, along the rivers of the Canadian forest, the spruces and firs are clean-trunked, tapering to tall, isolated, symmetrical summits. Here the very opposite conditions exist. Solid, massive walls of black foliage, with almost never a glimpse of trunk and bark. Most characteristic are the long, slender bush ropes or lianas. In the forest they are thick, gnarled, and knotted. There we get the vivid feeling of serpentine struggles in the terribly slow but nonetheless remorseless striving for light and air. But along the rivers the lianas are pendant threads or cables, straight as plummets and often a hundred feet in length. These give a decorative aspect to the scene unlike any other type of forest, temperate or northern. In the moonlight, the appearance of the walls of foliage is like painted scenery. Their blackness and impenetrability give a feeling of flatness, and the summit outlines are crudely regular. The dominant sound at night along the Barama was a sweet tinkling as of tiny bells, all in unison and harmony, but with a range of at least four half-tones the tree toads clinging here and there to leaves and flowers throughout the jungle fill this whole region with the melody of their chimes striking the minutes as if with a thousand tiny anvils and only too often leading some enemy to their hiding places we woke at early dusk and climbing out upon the bow of the tent boat watched the coming of the tropical day the medley of fairy bells was still bravely ringing, but as the dawn approached, the little nocturnal musicians ceased tolling and the chorus died out with a few faint final tinkles. Six o'clock, and the sunshine upon the treetops brought a burst of sound from the wood hewers, a succession of twelve to twenty loud ringing tones in a rapidly descending scale canyon wren-like 
and taken up continuously from far and near the very tang and crispness of the early dawn seemed to inspire the quality of their notes as soon as it was light swallows were seen in numbers small dark steel blue in color with a striking band of white across the breast these beautiful banded swallows kept at first to two levels in the air close to the water fairly skimming its surface and high up above the tallest trees marking i suppose the early morning distribution of gnats and other insects most delicate and fairy-like they appeared when perched on some great orchid hung dead branch protruding from the water we can find no adjectives to express the beauty and calm of the cool early morning on these tropical rivers myriads untold myriads of leaves and branches surround us like the lofty walls of a canyon we have used the words wall in this connection many times and no other word seems to be so suitable all sense of flatness is lost in the light of the dawn and instead we see these living walls now as infinitely softened but still the eye cannot penetrate the intricate tangle not a breath of air stirs the smallest leaf it is like the fairy river of an enchanted country all nature quiet and resting with only the brown current ever slipping silently past here and there foam flecked or bearing some tiny aquatic plant with its rosette of downy leaves then the lush tropical nature rushing ever to extremes comes a deluge of virile life upon the scene a great fish leaps far upward shattering the surface pursued by a fierce brown-coated otter almost as large as a man a half dozen green parrots throb screaming past in pairs two big red-breasted kingfishers spring from their perch and come leaping toward us through the air suddenly wheeling up almost in a somersault and down like two meteors into the water we leave our bushy moorings at last and keep on up the river with the tide passing the english mission of father carey elwis which like farnham's is built on a hill isolated amid the great expanse of flat marshy jungle a dozen little naked indian lads shriek in sheer excitement and rush down to the water's edge to watch us pass peering fearfully out from behind trees like little gnomes from here on butterflies become very abundant many large yellows and oranges and morphos of two kinds one altogether iridescent blue the other blue and black as the little vocal messages of the tree frogs are carried far and wide through the jungle at night so in the sunshine the morphos like heliographs of azure flash silently from bend to bend of the river conspicuous among the great mora and purple heart trees were the white barked silk cottons large yellow tubular blossoms and masses of purple pea blooms tint the trees here and there 
the indians along the river were catching two kinds of fish one a silvery mullet about six inches long called bashu and a catfish of the same size the latter was most formidable in appearance but actually harmless four slender barbells of medium size depended from the lower jaw while two pigmented ones extended forward from the upper jaw and were so long that when pressed back they reached to the tail rain fell irregularly during the day but so gently and so softly that we hardly knew when it began and when it ended it never chilled but rather refreshed about noon a third migrational flocking of birds was noticed seventy-two large south american black hawks circling slowly around setting their wings after a while and sailing off to the west as one bird the action and reaction among the vegetation was often as striking as among more active organisms where parasitic aerial roots had descended seventy or eighty feet and touched the water near shore vines had somehow managed to reach out and throw a tendril about the roots take hold and climb circle upon circle to the top the palm trees alone of all the forest growth seemed universally free from parasitic plants and climbing vines above the mission coincident with the increase of butterflies and the appearance of occasional sandbanks palm trees disappeared without apparent reason the river narrowed as we ascended until it was only fifty yards across and the bends increased in angle and number now and then we passed a cut-off where the stream had cut through one of its own bends and made a new bed for itself a small opening in the wall of verdure was hailed as hurry creek and dropping behind the launch we were towed a mile or more up its tortuous length now and then running aground or rather a tree as it was only thirty feet wide and as sinuous as a serpent we tied fast to a big overhanging tree which marked the end of our journey by water and all excitement leaped ashore end of chapter five